Hi, I'm Audrey Bellis, and you're listening to Brown Girls Rising, a worthy women podcast in partnership with Nylon Español. We tell stories about fierce, femme, leaders, and activists of color bettering our worlds. Let's get started. All right, you guys, this is a very special episode of Brown Girls Rising because I am here with my trainer, Trish the Ish. <laughs> very exciting because Trish gets to see me at my absolutely most vulnerable measurements, weigh ins, and when I'm like, I can't do a push up, sweating all over the place. Oh my gosh, it's like my ugly time. It it's is ugly. all my sweat, it is all my nastiness, it's all the like uncomfortableness of like, you know, you're trying to do squats, but it's giving you a camel toe and you're just like, <laughs> fuck, I can't even adjust this. It's all good. We yeah. all go through it. It's all good. And for my community, this has been such a great way for me to really connect with both the worthy women and brown girls rising community because I feel like women of color, we have a lot of issues around food, family, body, the way that we're stereotyped mm-hmm, and even mm-hmm. the way we're raised. Yes. Um, socioeconomic backgrounds. With a previous guest, we were talking about like, I grew up in North Long Beach. North Long Beach didn't get a grocery store up until a few years ago. No way. But all we had, or a bank, there were no banks in that neighborhood. Okay. All we had were the most liquor stores per capita of any other neighborhood in Long Beach. So that's where you guys were doing your grocery shopping. Yeah, not even. You had to go to like Bixby Knolls, which is a little further. It's a different Long Beach neighborhood. Mm -hmm. But again, you look at like the impact of that neighborhood, right? Who's right. there? And what do they have? All the fast food restaurants, right. the most McDonald's in any neighborhood, right. but no grocery stores. Cheap, accessible, all the stuff that's basically guaranteed to give you diabetes. Interesting. Interesting. Right? Because mm. where's the access to food there? And I feel like that really happens in lower income neighborhoods, especially around people of color. Fried food, what's accessible, what's cheap, what's right. quick. And so I'm curious for you, tell our audience a little bit about yourself because you're not just a trainer. You do all kinds of cool things. Right. So first of all, I want to say thank you, Audrey, for having me here. I'm super excited. A little bit of background about me. My name is Trish Ignacio. I am very, very proud Filipino-American. I was actually born in the Philippines. I moved here when I was eight. Did not know that. Yeah, I was was born there. So I experienced firsthand poverty, what that looked like. So I grew up without having warm water. Like, yeah. ha- like they had to literally heat up the hot water. I-, I grew up in that, you know, I experienced that. So coming to L.A., which is like a melting pot, super lucky for that experience, you know, like taking a shower with warm water. That was very like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe that, that uh, I'm around that. Right. So I am the oldest of five siblings, four girls and one brother. I grew up with a very strong mom. So I feel like that contributes to who I am today and how important it is to be around strong women. So I'm super excited to be part of this uh, movement that you guys got going. I have to say, we ask a lot of our guests who have been some of the most inspiring women in your life that have mm-hmm. helped shape you. And almost all of them, actually, every time we've asked the question, they've all said their mom. Really? Or grandma. They have all said a maternal figure or on the maternal side right. that has influenced and created the women that we are today. Right. Which makes sense because yeah. if we are women, uh, if we are strong women, that usually attributes to other strong women in our life. So it makes complete sense. Absolutely. So you're talking about like how I grew up, my upbringing. I know you said you've had Filipinos on this show. We've had a few Filipina girls. So, okay. So Brown Girls Rising, we wanted to do more than just white girl feminism and black girl magic. We wanted to identify all the things in between. Right. And I learned a new term. I'm curious if you heard this. So for Brown Girls, I said, well, where are all the Southeast Asian girls, Filipina girls, Mm -hmm. um, Thai 
Afghani, Latinas, Afro-Latinas, people right. who don't really identify as white or just black or they're mixed or where is everything else that we can see people like us. Mm-hmm. My sister mm-hmm. had one of her friends over this weekend. We're hanging out with my parents for the 4th of July. And so she's Cambodian. Okay. And she, you know, we were, I forget what we were chatting about or how it came up, but she, she referred to herself, she called herself Bodhi. And I was like, oh, I've never heard that. She's like, oh yeah, I'm jungle Asian. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> What's jungle Asian? She's like brown with a wide nose. And I was like, what? I've never heard of that. <laughs> Thank you. Never heard of jungle Second Asian. Second guest today who's never heard of that. Really I'm the heard. third person. I was like, jungle I've Asian. literally never heard of that. And she was like, well, <laughs> how else do you identify? Because there's like, we were talking about class and right. like the hierarchy. And this came up because I was told this weekend that I wasn't brown enough to host Brown Girls Rising. Interesting. And I was like, oh, well, you know. Fuck you a little bit. Uh, Like, who are you to define how brown I am? Right, exactly. Uh, But she was talking about what it's like identifying as Asian. Right. And the classes within, like, well, what kind of Asian are you? Right, right. Well, so for that guest, my question was, uh, would be, like, did she identify as a brown girl? Oh, yeah. She totally did. Okay. And, you know, I was we were cracking up at this jungle Asian thing that I've, like, never heard of. Mm -hmm. But Filipinas, Mm -hmm. I'm particularly interested Mm -hmm. because you're not really Asian. Right. You're not really Pacific Islander. Right, right. But you're the most like us because you have the Spanish influence. Absolutely. From the Catholicism, mm-hmm. the family point of view, the food. Tagalog sounds very similar to Spanish. Oh, 100%. Well, I think that has a lot to do with uh, Spain conquering and taking over the Philippines for a very, yeah. very long time. So for sure. And it's funny because like you, I asked if that girl, the Asian girl identified as a brown girl. I was having a conversation with my boyfriend today and I never saw myself as a brown girl. Like that never, like I, I never oh, identified that with that. I, and I think that had a lot to do with my mom being super strong. So like my culture never played a role in my, it was never like, oh, I'm Asian. I can't do this. Right. That was never, that never came up for me. So when I was going to get on the show and those questions that I was reading, I was like, what does that mean? Like, I don't, I, I don't, I don't know how to identify with that. I grew up and I was always around, especially in high school. You know how when you go to high school, people that are black, they sit with all the blacks or the Asians sit with all the Asians. Oh, yeah. It's 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 organized by country or origin. Yeah, Absolutely. I, I was never that way. I was always the one that was with all the blacks and all the Asians. And I was a super diverse group. When we were super. in college, uh-huh. all the black kids used to hang out by where – the cafeteria kind of like food market was. We used right. to call it Little Crenshaw. Right, right. And then the Asians, Chinatown. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We literally used to walk by every day. It was like, where are you at? Oh, I'm over by Little Crenshaw. <gasps> That's so funny. We're but, so hood. Uh, <laughs> is, that, is that where you were hanging out? Where were you hanging out? I was. I had a friend who used to hang out at Little Crenshaw and she was a lot cooler than me. And so That's funny. She was my entrance into it because I was like, I was hood, but I wasn't that hood. <laughs> but I had the Tahoe with the big rims back I see, then. I see, I see. I was like juicy couture hood. <laughs> got it, got it, got it. With my velour and my big ass. You're like the token like uh, Latin girl. <laughs> with the white name. Absolutely. Yeah, I know. <laughs> exactly. But um, yeah, so back to that question. Like I never really identified as that. You know, and I, I don't see that. I think a lot of people, especially now, they use their race, being Latina or being black or being Asian, they use that as something that is a disadvantage for them, yep. which I don't think is an adva- a disadvantage at all. Yeah, I think it really does come down to like where you're at in the world and what you're facing, right? right. From a point of privilege, like are these things that you're actually facing in discrimination for example, my office, I'm in a high-rise building, right. right? Class A property. We had a security guard 
who we still have the security guard who works one of the night shifts. Mm -hmm. And he calls me one day and he goes, and I was off site for this event and we were hosting a young black financial organization. Okay. And he calls the security director and the security director calls me and says, and I quote, Audrey, we're very concerned. There's a lot of hoodlums in your office. Mm. And I go, hoodlums? Who's They go, well, you're not here. One of your team members is here. It's the one with the curly hair. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And so I call over and I'm like, what's going on? She's like, "Uh, they're talking about financial literacy, Audrey. And I go, well, this is what's transpired. I'm getting this call from the security director. They're saying that there's like like some type of like crazy party going on. She's like, oh, they're sitting in a circle talking about money. Right. And I go, well, why would he call me and say that? And she goes, Audrey, why do you think he's saying that? Because Mm -hmm. he thinks you're white. Hmm. And he doesn't see me that way. Look at your last name and look at mine and look how he treats me. And I call back and we have this whole discussion. We clarify it. And the next day I see him and he was like, well, I was very concerned for your office because you had some rough looking people in there. Hmm. And says hi to me, not my employee. Interesting. And she goes, look, he didn't even acknowledge me. She's like, he hasn't figured out that you're Latina because you have the white name. Look at how he treats you. And it never occurred to me because I'm not faced with those same challenges that she is. And I think for for us, a lot of times, if you're not directly affected by it or Mm -hmm. it doesn't come up, it's harder to see, Right. right? right? And I think it really doesn't come up until you recognize somebody else being racist to you or expressing something negative to you. Like, for example, I remember going to a Hanukkah event on my dad's side of the family and somebody called my mom a wetback. And I had never heard that word. And I was very little. And I very distinctly remember my parents going, we're leaving. And we never went back to Hanukkah there again. And I didn't understand that till I was older Mm -hmm. that – you know, my dad's aunt had referred to my mom as a wetback right. and, and what that even meant. Right. And so like, again, things that you don't realize until right. you're like, oh, you just treated me like other. So I'm curious, even if not identifying specific, well, I don't want to say not identifying, but if brown girl has not been a term that's really like stuck to you, right. have you had experiences of otherness where you've been like, oh, okay, somebody just judged me for how I look or who I am right. or made the assumption right? or I guess, you know, I'm assuming probably made the assumption like, oh, you're Filipino. You must be a nurse. Right. No, 100%. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm not – I know what's going on. I'm very, very aware. I mean, I grew up with friends who were black, who were Latin, who were Afghan. So I grew up with that. So I I know their reality. I'm very, very aware of that. My point is – do we use that as an advantage or, or as, as a, a disadvantage, as yeah. a crutch? Exactly. There's definitely some crutch. Uh, and you know where else I see it? I see it the other way where we know people that have really gone extreme where they're like, white people did this to me right. and white people right. did that. Right. And I'm like, okay, now you sound a little racist. Exactly. Like exactly. white people did not all do thing, did not do all things in right. all ways to you. Like, And again, I think that really speaks to the polarizing nature of where we're at with the country 100%. right now. Mm-hmm. 100%. Which is scary. No, 100%. So I think it really takes people or um, platforms like this to showcase that it isn't black or white or Asian or Afghan or Middle Eastern. It's not that. It's how do we come together and build a community that's going to be proactive and that's going to be beneficial to everyone. Yep. Which is what I think this is going to be all about, you know, because to talk about, well, this is what was happening to me. And I think those are fair. I think that's the reality of it. But then how do we overcome that? How do we, as a community, kind of d- not make that as a disadvantage, but use it as an advantage? And you certainly do that with your community. You've yes. grown quite the following. Yes. Your Instagram followings really just like the engagement on it when you see how excited people are when you post new stuff, I right. think is very empowering. Right. And I love how open 
honest and vulnerable you get in your content, right? right? And it's not, and I think when it comes to fitness, Mm -hmm. that's the other thing where it's really hard to look at and say like, oh, well, that's not me. I don't have that body. Like posting your own before photos. Exactly. Things as you go through your own transformational journey that has really helped not just your community, but I'm curious for you, as your community has evolved and gotten bigger, Mm -hmm. has that changed the way that you lead them in any way and kind of content that you share with them? Like, has it helped you get more real with them to say, oh, no, 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 no. It's not always just like this. Oh, 100%. So being Filipino, in terms of like the the whole, I'm definitely not your stereotypical looking Filipino, even just Asian, right? I think people yeah. look at me and um, they, they'll think, oh, she looks mixed. She looks like she's half half, yeah. you know? So I'm, I'm very curvy. I've always had the thick muscular legs. I look at that as I'm talking to people that are Asian women yep. that are not your typical skinny, thin frame. I'm very, like I said, I'm very, very curvy. So that's, you know, you know, like me being able to say I'm proud to look like me and to embrace every curve. Right. Uh, that's enough. That's one community I really speak to, but also uh, to women just as a whole, embracing your flaws and being vulnerable. I used to think as being vulnerable as a weakness, right? You know, and I think most women do, especially like I said, um, coming from a very very strong mother. It, it was always like, oh, if you cry, you're weak. You know, so that was a big adjustment for me where as I'm growing up, like being vulnerable didn't mean that I was weak. It actually meant that I was stronger. Yes. You know? Yeah, because you're not letting it own you. You're willing to face it. What's interesting. Okay, so here, let's talk about some body. You have fabulous thighs, right? (laughs) Thank you. They're thick. They look great. They're Mm -hmm. very muscular. Mm -hmm. As this journey goes on, because... I'm sitting here losing weight as part right. of it. I oh, she looks so you. good, you guys. I can't wait to see Oh, you guys have to see it. I do the eat naked. <laughs> I'm eating very healthy Yeah, now. super healthy. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. One of the comments that my boyfriend has made to me is he's like, your thighs have gotten smaller since we met. And I really liked you when you were thicker. And I was like, so you're not going to fuck me now? Like, what? What? And he's right. like grabbing at my thighs. And he was like, they just used to be bigger. And I sat there and I go, no guy has ever told me, mm-hmm. oh, like, you know, nobody's ever said like, oh, your ass is too big. I don't really right. want to have of sex course, with you. Of course, but, of course. I mean, nobody ever says that. Oh, right, your boobs right. are too in my face. Right. Sorry. Exactly. Sorry. Exactly. But it's funny to me, like being, you know, my boyfriend's Latino mm-hmm. and he likes that. Right. He likes the curves. Whereas right. like, what are the body styles that we're embracing? And even the fact now that it's in style to be curvier. Absolutely. Right, which Absolutely. is my younger self, where I probably have learned all of my own dysfunctions mm-hmm. and ideas of what you should look like. Right. Where right. '90s waif thin, right? And like now you're telling me it's cool to have a big ass, and I'm like, really? You pay for that? Right? I no, got it's a true. Big one that I've been trying to get rid of for years. <laughs> no, who it's knew? True. Exactly. No, it's true. But I think you know, look at where we're at today too. Where is especially LA? Right, we're like kind of like the mecca of where fitness is. Uh, we're very multicultural, so yes. the people that you see, especially in the fitness community, they're not—they're very, very curvy, and their majority of them are Latin, blacks, few, few Asians. You know, but that's really say, yeah. few, few. <laughs> I can't think of any other Asian-identified trainers that I actually know off the top of my head that are a little moment. bit more curvy. You know, but I mean, yeah. look at even like big the biggest influencers out there. You have the Kardashians. Oh, yeah, some big booties. You know, I mean, granted, it's all, you know, paid for, but, but the, you know, like they're women of culture too. So. They are, yes. Um, and I think really embracing that ethnic look. Yes. And I'm curious for you, like even living a healthy lifestyle, like one of the things that I really struggled with when I started the meal program, mm-hmm. 
I remember like my first weekend going to a family event and bringing my meals with me and right. having my tia so offended mm. that I wasn't going to eat mm-hmm. their rice, right. their beans, right. their pork, their whatever, and the right. way that they prepared it. And I'm like, but you don't understand. It's already been prepared for me. <laughs> right, exactly. You put a lot of, I don't know what went into that, but right. that's probably why it's so delicious and greasy. Right. Right. Even like the cultural adjustment of yes. like, oh, we want you to lose weight. We're really proud of you for doing this. But mm-hmm. at the same time, like, well, why won't you eat my food? Oh. What's wrong with my food? Oh, for sure. You're going to eat that food? Mm-hmm. That was a very different experience. And I'm curious for you because even like the lifestyle of what we eat, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. when I think Filipino food, mm. I always think the roasted pig uh-huh. at every Let's party. Uh-huh. Yes. Let's on. Uh-huh. <laughs> lumpia, uh-huh. right? That's fried. Yes. And it's all the delicious things right. or all the things that are like not the best for you. Of course. Everything and is fried. Yes. And right. it's so hard. Like how do you do that in moderation where you're like, oh, okay, I'm trying to do this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But you miss that. Right. Well, like, like you said, right? Um, everything in moderation. Yep. But I do, especially coming from a Filipino background. I love my Filipino food. But, you know, every culture, food is really where we find that community. Right. Yes. So it's like a comfort for us. So I get it. Like, I mean, and especially in the Filipino culture, everything's fattening. So and they're very, very blunt. Like, oh, Trish, you gained weight. But here, let me feed you. Oh, yeah. You know, so it, it's kind of almost like a like a paradox. Yes. But when it came to me and living a healthier lifestyle, I understood that, hey, if I'm going to be with my family, I'm going to if I'm going to have the lechon, the fried pig, I'm going to cut back on a dessert. You know, yeah. so I'll still have what is uh, given to me, but I probably won't have as much alcohol. You know, like kind of finding ways to cut back on certain things, but still being able to enjoy myself. Yes. So I think everything in moderation. That's oh, really the key. We have tried everything in moderation. <laughs> Some things are much better without them. Oh, for sure. Or if you know you have a big party going, you know, a big family party that's going to be happening on the weekend, eat clean the rest of the week. Yeah. You know, like I, I think about that. I'll tell you what I've done that's real interesting. I've taken my meals with me to restaurants that mm-hmm. I can't get out of lunch meetings mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. ask them to plate it for me. Awesome. And they will. Right. Bottega right. Louie here downtown. I took my meal in. Mm-hmm. I got there first. Mm-hmm. I said, hey, I'm here for a lunch meeting. I'm on a meal program that's right. very specific, so right. I can't order off the menu. Right. I don't want to feel uncomfortable that this person is going to eat and I'm not. Right, right, And right. I don't want to, like, eat out of my container, like, at your table. Do you mind plating this for me? They charge me a $6 plate fee. Awesome. But Super you, willing to do it. So exactly. you'd be surprised that people are willing to make accommodations for right. you if you just ask and you're not a dick about it. Right. Right. Absolutely. Ideally. Absolutely. And, uh, and I think, like I said, we're in L.A. too. You know, there's there's so many places. For kale where, crunchers. Yeah, exactly. So there's no like there's no excuse out here. We got a lot of crunchy white girl kale. <laughs> kale juice drinking. Don't get me wrong. I love my juice. But there's, you know, there's, right. a, there's a few times where we sit there and we go, oh, that's some white people shit. <laughs> no, for sure. For sure. I get it. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. Okay, so I'm curious for you, ways that we identify, right? Mm-hmm. Is feminism a word that you identify with? 100%. Is that something you've always been comfortable calling yourself or something you had to grow into kind of as you got older? Well, I think, uh, you know, uh, coming here, I was talking to my boyfriend, what does feminism mean to you? Like, what does that even mean? I oh, think that's it, a big question. Right, absolutely. Huge, huge question, you know, and I think it really... I really believe in people are shaped by their reality, their yes. upbringing. So even that word, I think for some people, will make them feel uncomfortable. But for me, like I said, I grew up with such a strong mother that that is everything that I stand for. So for me, I define feminism as somebody, as women being equal to men. That's yep. how I see it. Yeah. Equality for everybody. Yes. 
It absolutely is. Exactly. I'm curious, as you work with women, you know, I always think of like, what are ways that our youth has shaped us, right? Our habits around food, our relationship to food. I always tell people my relationship to food is direct reflection of the relationship I have with myself. Mm -hmm. When I am not in a good place, if I'm stressed, I'm an emotional eater. We used to joke, we used to have this McDonald's downstairs in my Mm -hmm. office building. Thank God it shut down. (laughs) And when I was really stressed, I would go down there for the dollar cone. Mm-hmm. and Ice, ice cream cone? Ice cream oh, cone. The yeah. dollar okay. vanilla cone. Mm-hmm. And I swore to myself that because it was a dollar, it didn't count in calories. And if I paid <laughs> cash and I didn't use my debit card, it therefore didn't account because it, it never – It didn't sl- exist. It didn't exist. <laughs> exactly. It was a dollar. So it didn't exist. And it got to a point where like the security guards could tell they're like, oh, Audrey's having a bad day. She went right. out for a cone. Right. And I would right. come back and I was a lot happier when I had that cone. Right. And then I switched over when they shut down to the Twix bar. Uh, and distinctly, we have a Tremana. Mm-hmm. And Mike, the guy who works there, was like, oh, hello, Audrey June. Come today for Twix bar. Better you have the double. The one that has four. Uh-huh. And that's when I stopped going for the Twix bar. I was like, uh, I man, Mike shamed me in my Twix. And then even then I would be like, okay, I'm going to eat a stick and you're going to eat a stick. And right. therefore it didn't count because I didn't eat the whole thing. Exactly. Like the lies that we tell ourselves about even sad hour. I've talked about it here where it's like, okay, I'm drinking to get fucked up now. Right. 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 I'm drinking to avoid. And the Absolutely. habits that we have around food. Mm-hmm. Do you see that a lot with your community and clients? Or maybe what are some of the overarching things that you see most consistently that people sit here and they go, oh, I thought it was just me. No, I, I 100%. Agree. So when I was, I went through a phase, well, the reason, part of the reason why I became a trainer was I had gained over 30 pounds. And if you guys follow me on my social media, I post a lot of my before pictures. I had gained 30 pounds. Part of that was stress. Part of that was just family circumstance. But a lot of that too was just food. You know, I think majority of women, there's a, there's a chemical imbalance that happens. And that's why when we're on our period, we're craving sweets. Yep. Just, so that's a, that's a hormone thing. But part of it is it's comfort. Like we talked about being when we're with our community, it, with our families, food is something that we that we resort to. Yes. So um, yeah, I, de- I definitely identify with food being a something that is a comfort thing for me. In terms of my other clients who they do the same thing with food being um, like a resource for them. Like, like you, I said that when you're not feeling good or you're having a down day, it, it's, it becomes like a sad hour. Yep. Yeah, no, for sure. You are not alone in that. I think that's majority of people. And then there's the actually exact opposite where it's people starve themselves. Yes. We were talking earlier about how I remember growing up and Mm. it was almost like a thing to glorify eating disorders. I can't tell you how many friends that I had that would take pride. And in fact, I distinctly remember in middle school, one of the girls I went to class with, she had a planner and she would track with pride the days that she didn't eat Mm -hmm. and how many days in a row she could go with eating hardly Mm -hmm. anything. Mm -hmm. And we were a lot closer when we were in high school. And I distinctly, I was very thin my freshman year of high school. Mm -hmm. And I remember to a point where it was just like peanut butter and rice cakes and Diet Coke. Mm -hmm. Because right. the Diet Coke had no calories. Right. The rice cake was like air. Right. And the peanut butter made sure you didn't pass out. Right. And we went like almost a year with that. I just got real hungry. I just got real <laughs> You're like, hungry. That, that's not going to happen. This is not going to keep working because like now I'm starving. <laughs> right. And right. I just couldn't keep it up. She right. ended up being hospitalized a lot right. later. Mm-hmm. But we had a lot of friends that were very aware. And mm-hmm. even as I got older, I had a friend in college. And I remember we had gone out one time and she made some comment to me like, well, of course you wouldn't know this because you're not the fat friend in the group. Mm. I'm the fat friend. And I was like, 
we're the same size. Right, right. We're not, are you the fat friend really? Because like you're wearing my clothes right now. Does that mean I'm the fat friend? Right, right, right. Um, And almost like our group think how we are with each other. Even the apologeticness where women can't say, oh my gosh, you look great. I love that outfit. Right. How many times you see women, and I'm guilty of this myself, mm-hmm. instead of saying, thank you. Right. Yes, I do. Right. They go, oh, well, I've gained a little weight. They deflect oh, it. Yes, they deflect right. it, right? right? We play it down right. and we've got to like knock ourselves down a peg mm-hmm. before we can even accept a compliment. Right. And these body issues, they're they're everywhere. And mm-hmm. so much of them, unfortunately, come from our cultures. They come from our youth. It pains me to think, as I go through this as an adult, mm-hmm. the fact that we have to rewire the way we think about this and our relationship with food mm-hmm. when it should be something that is so enjoyable right. and beautiful and colorful right. and fun. And it should be a thing that you love and brings you together, not right. the thing that's like ruining your life existence. Right. No, 100%. So you mentioned two things. You mentioned the relationship with food. And anytime I think about that, I think about really control. Yes. Uh, so with your friend that was with the Diet Coke and the... the oh, yeah. She has major control issues. So and I'm a very like type A personality. 100%. So for me, like if it's competitive, right. I'm in it. Right. So it's... it. The, so I'm not really looking at the food as the issue. I'm looking at the real underlying root cause of that, right. which is what's what else is happening in their life that they feel like they have no control, that they have to self-sabotage. Yes. Because I think that's what women do. We self-sabotage a lot. Even taking a compliment, we can't do because it's like, oh, I don't want to seem overly confident or I don't right. want to seem stuck up. Right. So I think that would be my advice for women is, and I remember I had a, I had a conversation with my, one of my girlfriends. She, she was a uh, giving me a compliment and same thing. I was kind of like deflecting and I was like, oh no, I'm not. She's like, just take the compliment, Trish. And I remember that day I was like, you know what? You're right. I'm going to take the compliment. So now when people compliment me, it's like, thank you. She's very proud, you know, but I think how many women feel worthy? Worthiness is a big word. We talk about it a lot. Uh Um, People don't ever just tell you why they're worthy. They literally have to go back and tell you about a time that when they weren't and right. how they got there, they have to justify it to right. you. And that's a universal experience, both men and women. Right. From a psychology standpoint, for me, that's very fascinating. It mm-hmm. really unpacks a lot for people. Mm-hmm. The other part of that is I 100% of the time hear somebody's shame stories and usually their deepest, darkest secrets that they would never tell somebody. Right. Um, Absolutely. So we're very privileged to hear some heavy things. And most shame is mm-hmm. inflicted as a learned behavior, as a child. 100%. You've been told you aren't enough. Mm-hmm. You are not worthy of love and belonging because you aren't enough or right. something you do is not enough. So there's right. this tendency, well, if I do this, then I will be worthy of that right. or some type of sexual trauma. And then they numb, right? With the too much, it's too much fucking, too much food, mm-hmm. too much whatever, mm-hmm. drugs, alcohol. We've had a lot of people that have come to us through worthy women who have told us, I've been inspired to get sober through your event. Amazing. And that's a very powerful feeling of like, oh my gosh, we're, we're doing something incredible. In fact, a lot of our methodology and our content is very based in 12-step methodology about mm-hmm. cleaning your side of the street, owning your shit. Right. Like it starts with you right. and what you're bringing to the table and the world as you experience it mm-hmm. is a direct reflection of your internal conditions. So what is the narrative that you're telling yourself? Those narratives are absolutely hard to combat. Like I struggle with them. You know, for you guys that are watching, I'm at Audrey Bellis, which I always say at the end. But if you follow along on my Insta stories, when Trish has me on on Instagram when mm-hmm. I'm working out, mm-hmm. I'll tell you what, I work out just a little bit harder when I know the camera is looking, mm-hmm. right? I'm right. able to power through sets that I'm struggling with because I know that eyes are on me. Um, but it's humbling. And I remember that very first workout. Mm-hmm. I thought I was going to 
die. <laughs> I was never so self-aware of the hum- uh, humiliating is not the right word. Humbling right. experience to right. feel like, I don't know if I can lunge across this. Right. I literally think I'm going to fall. Right. And then I was like Instagramming myself <laughs> for days later about how like I sat down to pee and I couldn't get back up. Right. Because it hurts so bad. I'm right. like, I'm fine. Right. Right. I'm just going to stay here a little longer holding on to the stall. Exactly. And my neighbors in the restroom point, are you okay in there? I'm fine. I'm going to get up at some point. But now you're better. Now I'm better. Now it doesn't hurt me like exactly. that anymore. And being able to have the stamina, reducing the coffee. Mm-hmm. I just drink coffee all day long. Now mm-hmm. I have one cup in the morning. Great. That's, you know, big things where you start to see the quality of your life start to adjust and you go, oh my gosh, I didn't realize I had gotten like this, but I'm so glad this isn't the way anymore. Trish, you've been so inspirational to us here on Brown Girls Rising. If you have one piece of advice that you would want our audience to walk away with, what would that be? It goes with the whole being worthy, right? I think it's the stories that we tell ourselves. There's only really two ways. You're either going to be the victim. And you can keep telling yourself the same story. I was abused. I'm Latina. I'm Black. I'm Asian. I come from a very poor background. You can keep telling yourself the same stories. Or you could be like, you know what? This is my background. This is who I was. This is who I'm going to become. Or you can become the victor. So it's either a victim mentality or the victor mentality. And I think my advice for women that want to go out there and change the world, you have to look at yourself as a a victor, like as a warrior. And I think that all women are. So that's the greatest strength that we have. I love that. And especially being the victor when you're standing up against stereotypes, yes. right? Tell us what you said at our summit. I'm Filipino. So everyone, I remember this one guy came up to me and was like, oh, you're Filipino, but you're not a nurse. You know, because that was the option. It was either you were a nurse or you were a nurse. That was the only career option for being a Filipino woman. And for me, that was like, what? Like, that's not even my reality. Yes. You know, so I feel that it's all about doing what you love and things that you're passionate about. That's super, super important because I think that if you do what you love, you're already doing the world a service by being true to yourself. So I think that's important. Oh, that truly is. We talk about it here all the time. Life by design, not by default. Because let me tell you, when you live in that default mode where you're Mm -hmm. living up to somebody else's expectation – All you're going to do is numb with other things because you're unhappy, you're unwilling to face it, and you feel like you're living on somebody else's terms instead of your own. Right. And it's so inspirational that you're able not just to do that, but to show people how they can live on their terms. Yes. Physically, emotionally, mentally, um, community-based. Right, right. So if you guys want to come hang with us, we will be working out together and we'll be sharing some free public events for you guys to join, sample some eat naked food, work out with us, maybe watch me cow tip. It'll be fun. I promise not to, you know, make a face if you Instagram me while I fall over. It'll be a blast. Trish, where can people follow along with you? So you guys can follow along on my Instagram at Trish the Ish. And if you guys have any fitness, training questions, food, which I know is a big deal, uh, you guys can go on my website, TrishTheIsh.com. Yeah. And you know, my code is WorthyAudrey for 10% off your order. Yes. You can find me at Audrey Bellis. And this has been Brown Girls Rising. hope this episode has inspired you. For more, visit browngirlsrising.com. Follow us socially on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Worthy Women LLC and at Brown Girls Rising for future episodes. Until next time.